brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a Midi clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history, so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Word Balloon, the comic book conversation show. John Suntress here. Man, I am so excited about today's show. Dan Jurgens is back on Word Balloon. I always love talking to Dan, one of my absolute favorite writers and artists for decades. Uh, it is amazing. He's one of those guys that broke into comics incredibly young. And today, we're talking about the Sons of Batman. Because that's really Dan's world lately. Uh, been doing a great job on Nightwing. You know, a lot of people uh, weren't fans of uh, what happened to Nightwing when he lost his memory. Dick Grayson uh, is going by Rick Grayson these days. and certainly not the man he was for so many years. And it upset some Nightwing fans. I think Dan has righted the ship and uh, provided a very personal Dick Grayson story as he struggles to find himself again. And man, a great turn in recent events. The Joker has now corrupted Dick's mind, and uh, Dick believes he is the son of the Joker. It's uh, a very interesting turn that happened in uh, one of the Nightwing comics about a week ago. It is part of the Joker War that we've discussed with James Tinian, and the big story that's going on in the Batman books in general. And uh, I think uh, Dick has a very interesting story, and uh, Dan is telling it. Also, of course, Dan is working on Batman Beyond, another one of the sons of Batman, Terry McGinnis. That's an incredible book. And, again, a current wrinkle. Damien. We're getting Damien as an adult man uh, uh, leading the League of Assassins and uh, struggling uh, to find his uh, place in the Batman Beyond universe. Uh, really great story happening with Mr. Zero as the enemy, one of the lieutenants of Ra's al Ghul. Ra's al Ghul is uh, no longer uh, you know, dead. He's out there in the Batman Beyond universe. And I think it's really interesting that he's uh, playing with uh, Damien, Terry McGinnis, and Richard Grayson right now. The Sons of Batman, discussed with Dan Jurgens, And of course, it was a Word Balloon Live, so we took questions from the audience uh, about Booster Gold and uh, previous runs of Dan, like Titans, and we talk about Justice League International a bit. Uh, lots of great stuff, even some Marvel work of Dan's, like Captain America and his great run on Thor with John Romita Jr. Really fun stuff and uh, always interesting ideas, both uh, on the page and from the mind, just talking to 
Dan Jurgens. Lots of Superman talk as well, uh, because of course he and Pete Tomasi were instrumental in guiding Superman during the final uh, days before Rebirth, and uh, also uh, was involved with Superman in the new 52 years, and of course decades before, creating things like Doomsday and uh, other great Superman moments. I think uh, Dan is one of those underrated Superman creators when it comes to ideas and uh, thoughts, and it's uh, fun to discuss all of that with Dan Jurgens today on Word Balloon. It's all brought to you by the League of Word Balloon listeners. Thank you, League, for your great support via Patreon. Patreon.com slash Word Balloon. Couldn't do it without you. Uh, you are, in a sense, the executive producers of Word Balloon, and uh, your domino mask and cape are uh, waiting for you should you want to subscribe to Word Balloon. Look, Word Balloon is free. It'll always be free. I want people to hear this show because, uh, you know, I'm excited about uh, comics and I know my guests are as well. And we all love to hear these amazing conversations. If you want to support the show, if you can, because I know financial times are certainly tough right now. Is Word Balloon worth a dollar a month to you? Is it worth the price of a comic book a month to you? If you think so, if you can swing it, consider a subscription to Word Balloon via Patreon. Patreon.com slash Word Balloon. Word Balloon is also brought to you by Aftershock Comics. An amazing July happening right now for Aftershock. They just released uh, Dark Arc Instinct. Their book for free comic book summer is in stores right now from Colin Bunn. Absolutely deserving of your attention. I hope you'll uh, take advantage of that. And a hell of a lot more of great Aftershock books. People like uh, Stephanie Phillips and Marguerite Bennett and Tim Seeley. And, uh, of course, Cullen Bunn and Phil Hester and Paul Jenkins. So many great uh, creators have made amazing books for the Aftershock imprint that deserve your attention. We'll be talking to more Aftershock creators in the days and weeks ahead right here on Word Balloon. But uh, I advise you to go check out their website and find full story descriptions, preview pages of art, and the diamond codes on how to order these books through your local shop at AftershockComics.com. All right, without further ado, let's get into it. This was a Word Balloon Live from Tuesday, and I'm happy to represent it now for the audio audience. Here is Dan Jurgens talking about Superman, his great runs at Marvel, and the Sons of Batman on today's Word Balloon. Hey, everybody. Once again, welcome back to Word Balloon, the comic book conversation show. John Suntress here. Uh, that's all right. I, I, I cut Dan like it's almost like musical chairs. Dan was going to walk away for us. Oh, that's okay, Dan, if you, if you want to adjust or anything like that. No, no we're good. We're all, all right. good, John. <laughs> I am so happy to see Dan Jurgens. Uh, I always am excited when I see him at conventions. Dan, were you at C2E2? I can't remember now. I was at C2E2. And the funny thing about C2E2 is that, uh, you know, several times I'd run into people, we'd laugh about it and be like, ha ha ha, welcome to the last convention of 2020. But it was a joke when we said it. Um, yeah, I don't yeah. know that we really believed it, those of us who were looking at it that way. But yes, I was there. Yeah. No, I hear you, man. And yeah, it was weird. And um, yeah, just again, the early days of COVID, I mean, people weren't shaking hands, but we weren't wearing masks. And uh, right. you know, I had I had gloves. I <laughs> I won't deny it. But yeah, I mean, unfortunately, things have certainly gotten crazy. And then everything else that has happened, and I know uh, things have been going on in your state, things have been going on in my city here in Chicago. Are you are you in Minneapolis proper? I always forget. Uh, Pretty close to it, yeah. I'm okay. I'm in a nearby suburb that's really kind of the first ring sort of suburb. So yeah, I'm pretty close. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, uh, uh, hopefully change for the better is 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 underway, and and you know we'll 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 get through this. And and you know, as I was asking you uh, off the air regarding uh, San Diego uh, at home happening uh, now, and uh, the DC uh, what's what's the DC event called again in August? 
DC Fandom, I believe. And I think it, it boy, I, I don't have it written down in front of me. I think it's like okay. the 22nd to 23rd, okay. uh, which is going to be kind of this wide-ranging, fun weekend convention experience for all sorts of people to get in on. That's going to involve quite a lot, actually. That's awesome, man. That's fantastic. Yeah. For the viewers, I was just telling you off the air that uh, a bunch of us, I mean, I, I was planning on something casual with Tom King and uh, Julian Shauna Benson on Friday night. Because I'm like, yeah, you know, we, we've been doing trivia games and talking about, uh, you know, movie and TV shows that we love. Um, but uh, all of a sudden they're like, hey, let's do like an after hours for the con while San Diego is going on. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's fun. Why not? Sure. Yeah, so, because nothing bad ever happens in an environment like that. <laughs> well, everyone is safely distancing. So I don't think anyone no, has to be you know, worried about, <laughs> you know, an inappropriate proposition coming their way. And honestly, man. I completely listen. I'm all for and, and think it's horrible that people take advantage of those situations and are jerks and have ruined what was for decades, literally just a nice, mellow, hey, let's all hang out. Let's meet people. Let's, I mean, uh, many of my uh, good friends in the comic business, it started with a hangout at San Diego. And, and you know, 99% of the people are good, you know, professionals and, and not assholes, frankly. We can swear. Yeah. It's cool. But yeah, I mean, and it's and it's a goddamn shame that like these jerks are kind of ruining the the chill time that usually happens in the after hours, where it's just like, all right, we're all you know we're all relaxing, we're all meeting people, and it is. Fun. But in, in a lot of ways, it hasn't been chill time for a long time. I mean, I go back long enough that when all of that back when I started, for example, it really was pros only, and it was a time to relax, and it was sort of a chill time, and somewhere along the line it became something far different. And it became, uh, I'm here to get work. I'm here to be noticed. I'm here to do whatever, make connections. I'm here to listen in on conversations and report it on my website. And so yeah. there are those of us who got cautious, very cautious a long time ago. And it was a, you know, a lesson that I think everyone should learn well, but it is something that has been changing a lot over the years anyway. And I'm actually surprised it took this long for some of this stuff to come out. Well, but luckily, you know, again, thankfully things are starting to come out that will uh, shed light on the bad behaviors. And, uh, you know, again, hopefully uh, change for the better is yeah. underway now that there's that exposure. So, um, yeah. So anyway, if you just want a little hangout and stuff uh, and then a chill time with uh, several creators, we're doing John Con on Friday night. Uh, we're going to start at nine o'clock Eastern, eight Central, and six Pacific, and uh, it'll be nice. People will dip in and out and just uh, say hello. Uh, they're friends of mine. They're friends of Julian Shauna's and Tom's, and it should be a good time. Look, well, anyway, that, that takes care of that with me. Then those three, <laughs> they won't let me anywhere near it. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> this is nice. Hillary Barter is watching. Very nice. And okay. Uh, Oh, there you go. Wow. Oh, how about that for irony? Paul Becker was just reading Booster Gold when he got this notification. Awesome. Lovely. Yeah, they've been releasing a lot of uh, trades, Dan. I'm really happy that they're reaching back and uh, putting a, a lot of your old stuff uh, in, in trade form and everything. I mean, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice to see. And as a matter of fact, we just recently uh, kind of wrapped up what is going to be a, um, another uh, Booster Gold hardcover, which presents, I think, issues. 13 to 25 of the original run as well as the secret origin story. So awesome uh, to have a couple of twin hardcovers on the shelf. That's always nice. Looks good. And obviously if we go back to 
1985, I think it was, when we first did this, 84, I never would have thought that any of that would wind up in a hardcover book. So, yeah, it's cool to have. <laughs> Absolutely, man. And uh, certainly I want to talk about what's going on right now with you with Batman Beyond and uh, Nightwing because uh, some really interesting stuff. Uh, let, let's start with Nightwing because, obviously, I think that's really uh, some – man, you are just putting poor Dick Rick Grayson uh, through the ringer. Yes. And then <laughs> – the latest yeah. wrinkle seems to tie into the Joker War uh, in its own way. Are you are you are you in concert with James on that? Did you guys like confer in terms of storylines and what you guys are doing? Yeah, we did because uh, James will be using Nightwing as well in Batman. So we had a couple of conversations. We're bouncing ideas back and forth. You know, a couple of months ago, and trying to set everything up so that this would work well, and especially as. Uh, really, Nightwing 75 and Batman 100 coincide. I'm not quite sure if they're the exact same month, but I know they ship just a couple of weeks apart from each other. So it's like Nightwing 75 comes out and then Batman 100, and we want to touch on some of the same themes and elements there because, of course, at this point, what we have come to find out is that Nightwing, who has Rick Grayson, who has been controlled by this crystal that the Court of Owls introduced, well, the Joker got a hold of that crystal, and now essentially he is in control of Rick Grayson's life, and he uh, calls him Dicky Boy. And essentially, Dick Grayson is more or less thinking that the Joker is his adoptive father. All of his memories that were pretty much of him and Batman have now been replaced by him being raised by the Joker. <laughs> yeah, I'm laughing. I must have been affected by the Joker gas. No, it, was, it was great, man. I really, um, I, I loved uh, the whole setup and uh, Rick was just being a little too positive and happy uh, with B and everything. And just, you know, kind of just a little too, a little too, yeah, just a little too enthusiastic. Whatever. It's like, okay, something's happening here. Clearly. Oh yeah. Um, and I was just happy to be able to get to call him Dickie boy and have Joker do that. I, I, just, I had all sorts of fun writing that. Well, and that's honestly, these are the kind of moments, Dan, that I think us adult uh, readers love because we grew up on this stuff. I know you did, too. And and now you guys get to really play with the fact that the Joker and, and, and Grayson have had this like weird relationship for decades. And I don't even know if things like Last Laugh are still considered in continuity. But in my head, continuity, Nightwing and the Joker have always had a different relationship than Batman and the Joker. And, and Nightwing for, for decades wasn't as traumatized. I mean, Jason has his story. And maybe I'm misreading. But, you know, I, I, I think this is a great opportunity for the Joker to really mess with with Dick Grayson, Rick Grayson. And, and really, yeah, I mean, it's uh, no, I look forward to the next issue. Last issue was great. And uh, poor Barbara is in the midst of it. And we see Punchline yeah. and, uh, and Nightwing finally interacting and stuff. But, yeah, I, I, I really think this is. Pretty exciting stuff, and, and I, I can't imagine what's going to happen next month. Well, great. Thank you. And uh, hopefully everybody can say the same thing, and we'll be out there in a month, and everybody can see it kind of develop. Uh, I think it really has been a lot of fun, and it is a different way to – or a way to take a bit of a different look at Dick Grayson. Uh, um, he is probably the most balanced and most centered member of the Bat family, Uh but that doesn't mean we can't upset that apple cart just a little bit. It happens to all of us, even on sure. our best days after all. So why not? Absolutely, man. No, I agree. And and that's the thing. Good Lord. I mean, you know, it's starting with the the, the Court of Owls messing with them. And uh, 
I, I just, I love the idea that, yeah, I mean, he's just not sure of himself. And, and this guy who always was is suddenly really off balance and perfect time for the Joker to sweep in and use the same crystal and, and mess with them even further. So, yeah, I look forward to reading this, uh, this uh, fabricated uh, history of, uh, of Dick Grayson as, as the Joker's ward uh, that, that can only uh, be even more amazing. So right. um, we've got, we got some comments that I want to throw up. Okay. He says, I think Dan is one of the most underrated DC writers, particularly on Superman. Your rebirth stuff was fantastic. Thank you. Thank I agree you. with that. Hey, John and Dan, I'm at work. I can't watch, but I wanted to say Dan is an absolute hero. I love all of his stuff. P- please read this in your best Chris Farley voice. <laughs> Remember that time? Oh, yeah. Oh, Dick yeah. Grayson? And yeah. I, I assume you're going to get awesome. out and do the dance, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I am a fat man in a little coat, but right now, not right now. So that's fine. Jason Inman is uh, jumping in with a comment as well. Oh, great. There you go. Oh, that's really nice. Big round of applause for both of us. Question for Dan. You've written Dick Grayson in a lot of different comics. Excluding Rick, what's your in for writing Dick? What puts you inside his head the quickest? Oh, man. Really? I think what I try and do uh, right out of the gate is say he's not Batman. Because I, I think there is a tendency on the part of some to see him And I think this is a totally unfair tag, by the way, Um, but to see him as Batman Jr. And I think the key to finding a way to make him work is to see him as Richard Grayson, um, to take into account that, as I said earlier, he is this, I think, centered, balanced individual that um, even if you go back to the early costume with the yellow cape as Robin and everything else, there was always something about him that he had a sense of brightness to him, both in the terms of the way he dressed as well as the way he acted. Uh, he is the person that everybody looks to uh, to count on, where uh, when he was with the Titans, he commanded that level of respect, and I think they gave it willingly, whereas Batman kind of does it more by intimidation. And And I think, therefore, that... Dick builds this quiet uh, sort of leadership role for himself, but he does it without that sense of harshness that Batman does. Understood. No, he is. He's literally at the center of the DC universe as far as the heroes go. All the younger people look up to him and all the, and I think all the, um, the heroes and on Batman's level uh, that do have, uh, you know, awards and legacy characters, they really respect Dick. I love when uh, Superman and uh, and 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 Grayson get together and have conversations, and that's something you've played with as well. Yep. yep. Um, yeah. Honestly, no. I th- I think he's a great sounding board, and I and I'm sure I've said this to you before in previous conversations, but I always like to quote what Jeff John says about uh, Dick Grayson, and that is, if you were going on a coast to coast like car trip, you know, from one end of the country to the other, Dick Grayson is the guy you'd want riding shotgun. Yeah. Because he's gonna, he knows he's a good time. He's got great stories, and yep. you're gonna be entertained from start to finish. And yeah, yep. man, it's like he, it's so great because he did. He experiences the same stuff that Batman did, especially as Robin. And it's like, isn't this great? And just sees the positive and everything. And it's like, you know, I, I, it's amazing. And again, to have that relationship uh, taken away from him, and also how it hurts Bruce and how it hurts the rest of the family as well is is really fun to explore and i really think that uh, and it's and again this uh, new wrinkle is is only going to make it even more interesting so right. um, yeah, i mean he is as i said i think to me the word is balanced and 
Um, he is someone who I think is able to come through these things and find himself. And uh, whereas Batman is very much, Batman is a damaged individual. And I just don't think Dick is. I really don't. Yep. No, I totally agree. This, uh, oh, and then again, more, more interesting questions. Well, first a comment, he's the Robin who got to grow up. I love all of his adventures as Robin. Well, we're all before crisis. He's been Nightwing and Batman ever since Judas contract. I'm glad they've kept that growth. Agreed. Yeah, absolutely. And again, I think, um, was there ever any concern, Dan, given that Snyder kind of explored the same territory in Batman with, you know, Bruce losing his memories of Batman and suddenly becoming a very different character in in a different way, but you know what I mean? Kind of the same trope in in a way. Yeah, and I think um, what happened is this had started before I ever came on board. Uh, this this story actually began, I think it was Batman 55, where the KGB shot Dick in the head uh, as Nightwing. Mm-hmm. And then they picked up on it in Nightwing 50. And I would not be coming on the book for another eight or nine issues, I think it was. Oh, okay. So, yeah, was yeah, a couple of people, you know, the, the condition of amnesia was already set. And um, what I did is when I came on was try and make sense of it all that, you know, rather than him just get shot and then have amnesia, I said, well, there has to be, this still has to be a Nightwing story. And to make it a Nightwing story, that's when I said, okay, let's bring in the Court of Owls. Let's make this more of a plot. Let's say that somebody really was controlling all of this and trying to make it happen because they wanted him to become a talent. So it, it was a matter of I came in and the conditions were all there and then kind of taking these stray elements and trying to find a way to organize them. And I hope make a little more sense and be more tied in with who this character really is. It's a controversial move. I know a lot of Nightwing fans. Well, anecdotally, I should say, uh, you know, what I say, a lot of Nightwing fans, you know, I could probably count them all on both hands and stuff. So 10 guys. I don't know. Are you getting? Are you getting? Are you getting grief for these uh, these directions for for Rick Grayson? Or I mean, are people on board with uh, what you're doing? I mean, it's it's been going on as you say now for you know 20 plus issues, even and as you say, it started before your your time. Right. What what I always said is, I think there's an interesting story to be told here. Part part of what happened is that um, as the book first started before I got there, not only was it the story of Rick Grayson but it was the story of four other characters who were all essentially functioning as team Nightwing. Yep. And and I think there was some interesting stuff there, but when you edit it all up, you had an awful lot of ideas that I think were colliding with one another. And what I wanted to do is work through that and then get to the point where I could really focus on, on Dick and to get into what does this mean for him? Why did it actually happen? How does it, if it does, change his relationship with other characters and that kind of thing and work through all of that. So what, what I had to do was deal with some of those essential items first and then start to turn it more into a Dick Grayson story. Excellent, man. You know, it seems again from the outside that sometimes when a book is muddled, they almost call on you to bring clarity to it. I, <laughs> I, I truly, man, I, I think this happened. Yeah. Right. New 52. Didn't they kind of, uh, you know, do that back then? And um Yeah. Am I right? Because wasn't it New 52 that started with Perez? Well, yeah, Superman did. Um, because yeah. originally I on New 52, I was writing uh, Justice League International yep. and drawing Green Arrow. 
And, yes. and really, by the time we were getting into our fifth and sixth issues, uh, then George was leaving Superman. They said, you want to come in and deal with this? And at first I said no, because I really wasn't. I mean, I, I didn't think they were necessarily wanting to do Superman the way I visualize Superman. Um, yep. And I think that sort of proved to be the case then. And then later, after that had its run for another couple more years, we had that sort of same conversation. And that's when Lois and Clark, uh, or Superman, Lois and Clark evolved out of all that, and John's birth and things like that. So, yeah, yeah every every now and then I come in in that role, it seems. Yeah, probably more if I even actually think about it. That's honestly, yeah. uh, Dan, I think it only uh, proves your strengths to really do come in sometimes and not, you know, uh, fixing it isn't the right word, but yeah, bring clarity, I suppose. And, and, and finding, finding a way forward. And I think, and I, and you, you, again, you're a pro man. You've, you've been doing this for, for years and it's been fun. We mentioned the, uh, the booster gold run. What do you, th- and, um, and I don't know, I mean, I don't want you to speak for uh, Pete Tomasi, but I think you and, um, and Pete, obviously, um, set things up and 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 fix and again, I'm going to use the word fixed, I suppose. But but made things more towards the Superman that that uh, some of us really love, and then handing it off to Brian and 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 everything Bendis. Um, you know, what do you what do you think of uh, Bendis's progression with John and uh, everything that's going on in the Superman universe right now? I think Brian has been doing a nice job, especially with Lois, because. Uh, for so long and in so many different versions, Lois has been kind of this untapped character uh, in terms of potential for Agreed. Superman. And I and I certainly appreciate what it is that he's been doing with her uh, to get Superboy to the point where he is, again, so instrumental to the Legion of Superheroes, I think is awesome because there should always be a Superboy that is part cornerstone, really. Uh, to me, of the Legion. So I I think he's done a very nice job of building it to that point. And I think it is the next evolutionary step of what we did, which is to say, yeah, here's Superman. And he's gotten to this point now where he and Lois have a child and it's John. And, And I think that allowed us to explore different aspects of who Clark Kent is, who Lois is, how they function together. Um, and, and what it means to them as with Clark being Superman as well. So I think there's all sorts of different aspects of that to explore and different ramifications that will come from that. Fair enough. Matthew has a good question tying into this discussion. How close were you uh, coordinating with Jeff Johns with stuff like Reborn and the, um, yeah, and the Oz effect? Was there more lead up stuff to Doomsday Clock you had wanted to do? Uh, in the very beginning, certainly as we were putting Rebirth together and the things that we were going to do, there was a lot of contact with Jeff. I know uh, Pete and Pete Tomasi and I and Jeff, as well as the editorial team, we kind of sat down together. We started to break through uh, or break out some of the story, talk about what it could be. We started to work through the Oz and Jarrell storyline yeah. and do what we could to make that work with Doomsday Clock. Um after that, the schedules were very, very different and divergent. Um, Doomsday Clock was running more on its own, whereas we just had this two books a month kind yeah. of schedule that both Pete and I were living with. So we sort of outpaced some of that. But at the same time, I think we managed to provide the necessary tie-in points that helped to make it all function. 
I thought, honestly, again, a great opportunity to explore the Jorel Clark relationship. And again, expectations not met because it's like, well, this is going to be great. Son and father together. And it's like, no, you're doing it wrong. And it's like, wow. And, 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 and again, this damaged Jorel, uh, you know, is, yeah, it's, it's amazing. I, 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 again, I appreciated the way Brian wrapped it up and I don't know how much yeah. you talked about, did you talk with Brian or was it like, we did. how does that work? Very, yeah. very early in the process, um, Brian and I sat down uh, with Dan DeDio and Bob Harris, and we just kind of talked through some of this. And Brian talked about where he wanted to go with it. And I talked about where I wanted to end my segment. Um, but Brian has been very open about uh, really liking what was set up there with Jarrell. And I think some of the potential that it gave him for story material to work from. And I do think that because it wasn't Jarrell healthy and whole and just, you know, like older version of Superman, which is pretty much the Jarrell we had always seen, that it, it did allow him, just like it did us, to say different things about Superman through that relationship. There's this facility that it seems like with, when you write Superman, you really get the, the character. And obviously, I mean, you've been doing it for 30 plus years. Uh, I, you know, again, I, I, and it's interesting the people that don't know how to write Superman or are afraid to write Superman and God, think of all the different, I, I'm doing this for the audience. So you, you already know, but all the different iterations of Superman and the different pr- complications from doomsday. And again, even a rebirth of new 52 and everything else that you've had to kind of put him through the paces and stuff and, and find new things to say about the character. And yeah, I, you know, absolutely, man. I, I think there are uh, there are an awful lot of people who say they want to write Superman, and the first thing or one of the first things they come up with is to break Superman and then see what you've gotten right from that point. And I don't think you do it by breaking Superman. I think you reinforce what's there. You understand who the character is. I think there is always this temptation uh, to say. He is outfashioned. He is outdated. You know, you just go down that list. And I don't, I have never bought into any of that. And my response has always been that if Superman is outdated, which I don't accept, but if he is, that isn't saying that Superman is outdated. That's more of a commentary on us from a societal standpoint. And I think especially right now, as, as we look around us and see so many things that feel like they're crumbling or falling apart, that takes us back to some of those ideals of Superman, I think, even more. And so quite the contrary, I would say he has a little more to say today than to feel outdated. I quite agree. No, it's amazing. And truly, uh, you know, being being friends with Bendis and everything, uh, it was so great to hear him say, you know, I spent a lot of time with Dan. Like as they were promoting Bendis coming, and you guys did, uh, God, uh, now I'm blanking the uh, South by Southwest, yep. and a few other events like that and stuff. And I know he was really excited to get to know you better and and collaborate with you and Pete. And uh, yeah, I, it's it, I'm I'm always happy when my favorite writers get along. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> no, I mean, this is one of those situations where um, the the good folks at DC I think did a very good job 
of getting the two of us together so we could work through some of these things. We could get to know one another. I mean, we had only met, I don't even think he remembers it. I had to remind him of this. We had met very, very briefly at a con and one of those environments where it was just like, you know, 25 people on around each of us and a quick handshake or something like that. And, um, you know, we had worked together once at Marvel where he wrote a, an adventure story that I drew, but we didn't really know each other. So uh, like I said, the folks at DC sat us down. We got to know each other. We have been in the room together quite a few times since where we have started to work on different ideas and it's worked out very well. And I've been happy to get to know. Them. That's awesome, man. Someone uh, mentioning, uh, drawing um you know do, are, is that ever in your future dan in terms of drawing more and drawing more interiors or covers or yeah whatever? as a matter of fact i think in the past um uh, couple of well when i say a couple of months time is so weird for all of us right now but I'll, I'll say the past few i've done more drawing than i had in like the three years previously i did a story for the uh robin 80th anniversary issue that I drew that Devin Grayson wrote. Outstanding. Um, I wrote and drew a Legion story for one of the 100-page Walmart books that is, I think just got printed or digital first edition here recently. Oh, excellent. Yeah, I just got done writing and drawing a pay, a uh, story for uh, Detective Comics 1027, which will be out as, you know, 1,000 issues since Batman actually showed up. In issue Absolutely. In yes, indeed. Comics. Yes. Yeah, I am actually trying to find the time to do more drawing these days. That's excellent to hear. Um, who, can you say who wrote your uh, 1027 issue? Yeah, some guy named Jurgens. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I've heard of them. That's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. No, I, it was fun. I was able to write and draw it. It actually sets up something else uh, that we're going to be coming out with from, from DC. So it was fun to be able to get back into to doing that. We just got the color approved yesterday. So it should be, I'm not sure when it ships again, time is such a strange element for us all right now, but I'm sure it'll be out within just a couple months. Very cool. Um, Someone had asked, and forgive me, folks. I, 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 again, I'm trying to watch the chat, but listen to Dan. Obviously, a little tough. This is like my old radio days when I had to run the board and sure. then play, play the music in the commercials as well as talk and stuff like that. What? Um, someone had asked up uh, after Joker War, will you still be on Nightwing, or are you? Uh, is that you know? I mean, I don't know how much of that you can uh, say or not say. I think after Joker War, it won't be long before you see DC making some announcements about what's to come after that. So stay tuned. Okay, no, fair enough. Not for an evasive answer. No, I like it. It's all right. <laughs> I don't want to screw up anybody's marketing plans. It's cool. And uh, yeah, I, Although and I am I'll, working on issues 76 and 77 right now. So that's okay. Yeah. All right. That's cool to hear and everything. That's excellent. The um, And also, um, I, I, I don't want specifics, but whatever the new status quo that's coming, because I know in talking to Scott Snyder and about death metal. And just even just the condition of the DC universe currently, the source wall being broken and, you know, the multiverse being kind of explored again, um, I would assume. And and I mean, there were prior plans that had kind of slipped through things like uh, the five generations and things like that. I don't know how much of that still exists and doesn't, but is it fair to say that a new status quo is coming? Uh, I don't know that I would... <laughs> New status quo is kind of, to me, uh, uh, a shorthand that 
applies to some people and not other people, even though you're describing the same sort of thing. I think what's fair to say is that we're building to a point where there's going to be some new stuff and some new ideas and some new blends of things, which I think uh, right now is probably very important. Obviously, we're seeing the marketplace change. I think we're seeing um, the desires for consumers change a little bit, store owners too, perhaps, while at the same time trying to work through this thing we call a pandemic. So I, I think what we're trying to do is just figure out what that all means and how best to deal with it. Understood. Ben Percy checking in. Oh, tell yeah. us all the secrets. I'll, I'll tell you all the Ben Percy secrets. That's, that's <laughs> what we do. Yeah. Ben's going uh, to gonna join me on uh, that uh, Friday night uh, hangout with the Bets and Sisters. And oh, okay. I'm, okay. I'm looking forward to that. And uh, here's a good one. Oh, this is a good reach back question. What was the process in creating Booster Gold and then him appearing in the JLA almost immediately? Oh, wow. Okay. So that was a great time uh, to be working at DC. So if you're talking at that point, say like 84, 85, um, it was very much an open door policy and and people were encouraged to take chances. And, you know, at the same time, and this is all sort of roughly, but it's close enough. At the same time that you had books like Justice League International and Booster Gold. You also had Frank doing the Dark Knight stuff. And, uh, you know, of course, the Titan stuff was surging. And you had, um, you know, Paul and Keith doing their Legion stuff. And there was just a lot happening. And people were encouraged to take chances. And I had started doing Booster Gold. Um, and then one day I got a call from, and then I don't even think our first issue, either our first issue was not yet out or just come out. But the stuff was there in the office and uh, Justice League was getting started up. And I'm pretty sure I had not yet seen their first issue. And Andy Helfer who was editing Justice League and Keith Given gave me a call one day and said, hey, we're doing this book. Justice League is a little different. Do you want do you mind if we use Booster Gold in the book? And they sent me some of the stuff from the first issue. Uh, I really liked what I saw, obviously it was going to be a very, very different sort of justice league. And I said, Oh man, that's awesome. Go for it. And so I think he joined in issue four of justice league international, something like that, or just justice league at that time. But yeah, so it started pretty early in the process. That's awesome. man! And just the whole putting together booster and those Easter eggs of why does he have rip on his time bubble? Why does he have Brainiac five's gravity belt? Why does he have a Legion flight ring? And it's, you know, and then it's, uh, was it, was there a preview in another issue before Booster Gold won? Was there like, like there were in some other books of the day? Like, no, uh, no, there was not. Uh, I know they had done it with a few things, but uh, no, we had the, we had a house ad. We had some other publicity stuff that was done for it, but um, by and large, no, we just, we went out there and there we were on the stands for everybody to try and figure out what is this? Uh, so it was, but again, that was more common in those days. I mean, it was, it it was much more common for creators to try and say, I want you to produce this new character as part of a DC or Marvel universe and get it out there and play with it. Because also at that time, and certainly when we started having these conversations, there wasn't, um, really that concept of creator owned that was out there. I mean, it was sort of being discussed. There were people flirting with it, but it certainly didn't exist like it would years later. And, and speaking of that, Dan, 
because as you know, when you broke in, the top of the mountain was working for DC and Marvel. And now the game has changed a bit. And um, you can take your audience that you build at Marvel and DC into a creator-owned situation. Do you have any creator-owned ideas that you'd like to pursue? I mean, I know how busy you are. Yeah, I do. And I I do. And um, I I keep on getting to the point where I'll say, okay, this is something, this is next year's project kind of thing. And then something has always come up. So what I am going to have to do is find a way to commit to it and make sure I do it here. Because, yes, I do have a couple of things. And especially being a, a an artist writer as you are and everything, you know, yeah, you're you're the full threat. So you right. can certainly, you know, come up with a pitch yourself and you know and, get, and I think quite honestly, John, that's what makes it a little bit harder. That oh interesting. Yeah, the idea is really writers can do you know, and people talk about this all the time, writers can write four books a month, so they can maintain there are a couple of books for a Marvel or DC while they do a couple other things, you know, that sort of stuff. If you're going to write and draw a book, that becomes 100% of your occupation. That is all there is. Sure. So it really means, at the same time, putting everything else aside and then moving in that direction. And I'm not saying it's a good thing. I'm not saying it's a bad thing or by any means. I'm just saying that's the reality. And so that's where it's harder to make that leap and just say, okay, everything else goes. Sure. You know, and, and here we are. No, I understand. And I, what I was thinking was that you could at least even with breakdowns or something, create a Bible and then have an artist in mind to hand off the, the art, the art choice. Cause you're absolutely right. As far as yeah. taking it all on yourself. Absolutely. But yeah. I, and, and yeah, I don't know. I mean, again, I hope, well, again, I hope, I hope if it's something you want to do, you find time for it. But I also know that uh, you're well-respected at both companies. Somebody mentioned earlier and had a shout out for, you and uh, John Romita Jr. on uh, on your Thor run. Oh, yeah. Which everyone great. loves. Absolutely. No, you, hey man, that and Thor Vikings. Uh, I don't, I forget if Johnny drew that or not. No, um, th- when, when you go back to Thor, and this is one of the things I continually tell John, I still say that was John's, this is my personal favorite art job that he had done was on Thor because uh, he was the closest thing to Jack Kirby there ever was on that book. And, and I just think that the the power and scope that John brought to Thor was absolutely fantastic. It was a joy to work on that with him. That's awesome, man. Look, a guy from Uruguay uh, checking in. It's Hello, Uruguay. Gonzalo, it's a pleasure, yeah. man. Thank you very much for checking in. That's wonderful. Um, yeah, I oh, good Lord. But um, So who drew Vikings? Because that wasn't Johnny, was it? I didn't write Thor Viking, so I'm not oh, sure I, what you're referring to. Yeah. Oh, I apologize, man. I, I no, always no thought of, of uh, part of your wheelhouse and everything, but no that that monthly Thor with uh, with Johnny and everything was fantastic. I always say Johnny to obviously differentiate from senior. Although at this right. point, with the younger generations, they oh really, John's dad drew? We didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> so that's yeah, cool. True. So um, Batman Beyond. Let's get into that uh, again. What an exciting thing with. Uh, you bringing back uh, heroes that are still alive in this future and everything. I love seeing old Barry. I don't know if I, I don't know if you had done that previous to this current story. And mm-hmm. then also, um, God, just the new Batwoman, fantastic, and it and it being uh, Dick Grayson's daughter, yep. and uh, and and Damien uh, running the League of Assassins. And I think that that's fantastic. I mean, it's you've assembled this great. Uh, future team and I think introducing more and more heroes and seeing where the uh the identities are in this future beyond beyond what we have gotten before is I think just terrific. And I 
I love what you're doing with Terry. I think it's a, it's a tremendous story. Thanks. I, you know, I think that, um, it really has been a lot of fun to play with because it's been like its own little playground that exists in a world 30 to 40 years from now. We're always sort of evasive about that. <laughs> and, but it, but it just does allow us to take another look at these characters, to have a Barry Allen who can still be the flash and to um, use a mix of old villains or new villains um, and should be pretty much unencumbered by the rest of what exists with DC uh, what I have always said in terms of any discussion we have as far as it goes with editorial is we have to pretend, we have to assume, we have to think of this like it is the future for Batman and the future of DC. But then we play around with that a little bit. And it just has to be your mindset because as soon as you try and say, well, it's a future, it's out here, it's out there then I don't think you take it as seriously. Um, and I okay. think you, as a creator, you always have to invest yourself in what you're doing in such a way is that you have to make it <clears throat> as worthwhile as possible. And to do that, you know, I think you have to say, this is the future for Bruce Wayne and company. <clears throat> I love the story and I love uh, Mr. Zero. Is this is this a new concept, this lieutenant of Rasha Ghoul? Well, that, uh... <clears throat> it's a new concept, but I think, what some of us who are old enough might remember is that Mr. Freeze, when he first appeared in the comics, was called Mr. Zero. Uh, absolutely. When I read yeah. that, it, I, I figured it was Freeze. Right. Yeah, so yeah. then when they created the TV show, of course, they renamed him as Mr. Freeze. When I say TV show, we mean the live action Adam West version. <laughs> so I just said, all right, let's use the name Mr. Zero somehow. Let's find a way to have some fun with that. So that's what that was. And for the people who get it, like you and me, great. For the people who don't, they aren't losing anything. It's still no. a cool name. Absolutely, man. No, it's a fantastic yeah. name. That's so funny. I remember, uh, God, that first episode of of Batman 66. And I don't know how they convinced George Sanders to put that Mr. Freeze almost astronaut-like oh. with the helmet and everything. Because no yep. one of the other, Preminger and Eli Wallach didn't didn't wear the helmet the way George no, Sanders it, did. It, it just <laughs> had to be uh, one of those things where, he needed to check maybe or wanted to check. Probably. So, probably. Yeah. And, and especially since it was early enough that he could not have known it was going to be sort of this camp hit. Uh, he probably yeah. thought, we'll film it. It may never even get broadcast. Who knows? <laughs> so that by, the time, by the time they got to Eli Wallach and Otto Preminger, you know, they're probably looking at it and saying, yeah, okay, we're in on something now. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. You know, honestly, and I know uh, having read about it and also hearing Adam West and others talk about how the budget was cut in subsequent seasons and stuff, that first season is so great. It is. And I think, you know, I mean, and all three are fun. And I and I appreciate the weirdness of, well, the villain's lair. We don't have enough money to really build the set, so it's just black with, you know, a few oh. hanging, you know, almost uh, drapes or whatever. Right. Set. But yeah. I do. I, I love that. I, I really love that first season in particular. And yeah, it's it, it's the best. Yep. Yep. I agree with you 100 percent. There was the 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 level of wit that was in the dialogue really was good. So it was a great. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that first episode with Riddler and he's at the, you know, Batman's at the bar and it's like, you know, I'm trying to be inconspicuous. Don't yes. talk to me. <laughs> with the equally inconspicuous Jill St. John big fan oh yeah oh yeah absolutely david has a good question having done both 
How do you differentiate Superman from Captain America? I think that Captain America realizes and embraces the role of being a symbol more so than does Superman. I think, I think Cap is more likely to step out in front of a crowd and acknowledge that in part because he's wearing the flag. I think Superman to me is not the one who's going to make a speech. I think Superman's, sees his role as to lead by quiet example that he, that if he provides that level of leadership in terms of quiet inspiration, that that gets the job done. Whereas I think cap is much more likely to step forward, rally the troops, give the big speech, say, follow me, say, this is who we are. We're Americans here, you know, whatever, where I think Superman is more about, I'm just going to do the right thing. I don't need accolades for it. I don't need applause. If I do it, people will eventually recognize, learn from that, and that inspiration will bring them forward. That's cool. What do you think of uh, Chris Evans as Cap? I think he's great. Yeah. Yeah, because I I think he absolutely embodies some of those things, and he doesn't over-deliver. And and I think there's always this temptation. I I, uh, thought this as writing Captain America. There is this temptation to over-deliver on cap. It's like every issue you write, you want to get to page 13 and say, everything stops. This is where cap gives a speech. And that's not it at all. I mean, but there is that temptation because every writer wants that moment, right? You know, I mean, that's sort of what you live for. Interesting. Um, is, Is there a genre of comics that you would be uncomfortable writing in? I mean, you've been doing it so long and I think you're very capable of, you know, the, the, the big event to the regular five or six issue story arc to the one shot issue. But are there genres? Is there like a Western that you'd never want, you know, would you never ever want to do Western or sci-fi or any of the other non-superhero genres? No, not at all. I I mean, I think um, Westerns in particular are very compelling um, because so many Westerns at their root are really about the core of the human condition. And, and it often told with a sense of rawness that we sort of hide in today's society a little more. Uh, a Western would be uh, a bit of a nightmare to draw because it's a hell of a lot of horses. And I will be here to tell you that horses are tough. They, <laughs> they can break the best of us, you know. Uh, but, but no, I don't, think, I don't think there is any genre like that. Okay, fair that enough. I'd be uncomfortable with, no. That's excellent to hear. I, uh, you know, this is a great question because when JT Kroll was playing in the Batman Beyond universe and he introduced Superman Beyond, uh, you know, yeah, speaking of quiet inspiration, is firefighter Cal Kent available for your Beyond continuity stories? I don't know if you've played with uh, Superman's uh, civilian identity that they developed in, uh, you know, for the Beyond uh, years. Not, not so much. I've made a very conscious decision to, as I've written Batman Beyond, to kind of stay away from Superman. And and part of the reason is because I have always wanted it to be a bit more of a ground-level book because okay. as you introduce Superman to that, it becomes, I think, a very different story. And I think also it becomes very much a Bruce and Clark type of story rather than a Terry McGinnis story. I'm happy. No, I can yeah. appreciate that. Yeah. Sure. 
Oh, here, another good reach back from Mark. I was wondering if Dan could talk a little bit about his Bravura character, Deuce. Oh, yeah, Bravura. So um, Bravura was back in the day when – back in the day. Shouldn't even say that. But uh, there were a group of us who had formed a label of, you know, what was going to be our creator-owned comic line. Yep. Uh, Howard Chaikin, Walter Simonson, Gil Kane, Stephen Grant. Um, I may be forgetting some more. Dan Barreriton, I believe, was in it. Yep. And we uh, had set something up at um, Malibu Comics that was going to publish that stuff. And the first few books came out. Walter did Star Slammers. Uh, Chaikin's book came out. I know Gil Kane and Stephen Grant. They did their book that came out. And I had to get through a bunch of stuff first before I could finally work on my property, which was Deuce. And unfortunately, by the time we got to that point, there had been a tremendous amount of market changes. Uh, Malibu was in a very different spot. Malibu was also going to be bought by Marvel Comics, and that meant Marvel would be publishing it. And it was a question of whether or not they even wanted to publish anyone's creator-owned material and so by the time we got to where I would have been doing my stuff, the whole thing essentially just fell apart. And um, at this point, to, and this takes us back to your earlier question, yeah, that's a property I still want to explore and still want to work on somewhere, some way, somehow, someday. Do you have rights to it? Did they refer yes. back to you? Oh, that's yep. good. Okay. Yep. That's cool. That's yep. excellent, man. When you first got to, uh, you know, became a pro, and it's great that you mentioned some of these other Bravura creators make me think, and especially when you mentioned people like uh, like Walt and Gil-, and Gil Kane and people like that. Not that they're contemporaries, but you know what I mean. Who are the, uh, who are the creators that you're like, wow, I can't believe that uh, you're getting the opportunity to meet them and you were excited to oh, collaborate? Wow. Well, or get been, yeah, seriously, it would have been the names we just mentioned. Uh, it would have been... Uh, you know, add Chris Claremont, add John Byrne, uh, Marv, Len, George. I mean, there were so many. And uh, Jim Starlin as well that uh, I, I do look back at it and feel that I have been remarkably blessed to have been able to work with so many of those guys and, and to associate with them and get to know them and admire their work and get to know them as people. Well, at the same time, you know, even getting to work with the generations that were here prior to them, where when I first started on Warlord, um, very early on as I worked on it, Ross Andrew was an editor and was great to be able to pick his brain. Yeah. Uh, I was able to write for Kurt Swan and Gil Kane and John Buscema and get to work with them that way. So it's nice to have been able to do those things and to to see how is everybody to see how everyone has sort of moved through their careers that way, um, just like it's great to see the younger talent and see the different voices that people are bringing to things right now, and and to see the things that they're doing. So it's ultimately you realize that even when you don't necessarily want to be, you are influenced by the work that exists around you that was there before you and is there after you. Understood. Understood. You were really young when you broke in, Dan. I mean, that's yeah, the thing. Well, like, I because honestly, people might mistake you for being much older than you are, and you're, you know, we're we're not that far apart in age. No, I, I'm like 38. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Your embryonic yeah. work at DC when you were right, still in the yeah. world was unbelievable, Dan. Unbelievable. Yep. No, I, awesome. I think um, I think I first laid uh, pencil to paper for DC. 
in uh, like late 81. And then my first work appeared in spring of 82, I think. So yeah, it's been a you know good long run. Had a good time. That's awesome, man. That's amazing. Uh, Steve, happy, happy, absolutely love Dan's work. His Teen Titans run was a formative experience for me. I even own the opening page of issue 18. Do you have any thoughts on that run or fun memories of doing Titans? Yeah, um, several. You know, at that time, uh, Paul Paul Levitz had just asked me, would I be interested in doing Titans, finding different characters in a different way of doing the books and, and bringing in some new different characters to kind of build something with that. And I said, sure, I'll, I'll give it a try. And one of the best things about it was uh, asking George Perez if he would like to ink the book. So we could kind of have that that feel of, I don't know, what would you call it? That, that good house, uh, good housekeeping seal of approval stamped sure. on the book with his name as well. Yeah. I mean, primarily obviously because George is such a fabulous artist and, and he made the work look so good, but it was fun to have George involved. And, and I think what we did was at that point, the Titans had gotten a little bit older and they wanted to take a run with some younger characters just to see what we could do. So we wanted to try something very, very different that did not involve the idea of, you know, here's Dick and Donna recruiting a new team where these guys are all part of the team together, that we wanted kids who were going to set off on their own to be the Teen Titans. And it was it was a fun attempt. I'm not sure it always worked. There were aspects of it that did. Who, were you, who was on that roster? We had uh, primarily four characters. We had uh, Risk as sort of the team leader. There was Argent and uh, Prism, who were our female characters. We had Johto, who was uh, our fire-type character. And we built him around with the one thing we did retain is some sort of an investment from Mr. Jupiter, who I think was billed as like the world's richest man or something like that to kind of provide funding. But... Again, it was, oh, we also had the Ray Palmer Adam as a character who had been de-aged in Zero Hour. So it's part of our connection to the DC universe, and that's what we built around. And I actually had a lot of fun doing it. That's cool. That's really great. Now, and this is an interesting question, and I know working in the bad office is tricky because, you know, Nightwing, as, as much as a lot of us want Nightwing to be, you know, its own book, and I think you're doing a great job of, uh, balancing all that. Um, here's what Matthew asks. Uh, you reunite to all editors to make decisions about future back characters, in your case, Nightwing. I, all right, that's kind of a non sequitur. I'm not sure exactly. But I, I'm assuming what, I, what I've what i just framed might be the question that he's asking in terms of how do you, uh, how do you, how do you work, you know, do what you want to do in your book and also have to, you know, be beholden to whatever the Batman status quo is for the, for the main books, you know, of Batman and Detective. Yeah, I I think that if I understand the question correctly, rather than reunite, I think he's asking, do you have to consult or relate to all the Batman editors? And the question is yes, or the answer is yes. I mean, obviously, whenever you work on a franchise-level property, whether it's Superman, whether it's Batman, and then their ancillary characters, uh, like a Robin, a Nightwing, uh, Batgirl, whoever it might be, yes, you have to work that through with the editorial team and make sure that you aren't running in conflict with anything else that's going on 
whether it's with Batman or Batgirl or whomever. And fortunately, uh, the Batman team in terms of editors is a really good group to work with. And, you know, so far we've always been able to make it happen. That's cool. Sal Abinati is uh, joining us and just wants to point out that you're one talented bastard. Which Thank you. <laughs> I love Sal. Um, I, I was wondering, um, and forgive me, Dan, I forget the name of the event that took place in the future where Tim Drake went to the future and it was you and Azarello, and I'm forgetting who the other writers were. Um, uh, what was, what was that uh, event called? Future's End. Future's End. Shame Future's on me. End. Okay, there yeah. we go. And that was, uh, the, the four writers on it were me, Jeff Lemire, uh, Brian Azarello, and Keith Giffen. There you go. Yeah. So are you able to play with any of those ideas in Batman Beyond? Not so much in this version. Uh, after that ended, we did bring Batman Beyond um, into the DC universe with Tim Drake acting as Batman Beyond. Uh, then we eventually worked away from that. And I think it's in large part because we have to have uh, Batman Beyond, I think, function as Terry McGinnis. That it, it's one of those things where I think it can make for a nice storyline and, and a bit that lasts for a year or two. But ultimately, I think it always works best if Tim Drake is who he is, which to me is the smartest of the Robins because he figured out Bruce Wayne was Batman all by himself. Right. And that Terry McGinnis is Batman beyond because Terry McGinnis is related very, very specifically, or his origin as Batman is related so specifically to that world of Batman beyond where essentially it was Blight who had his father killed and that inspired him to be Batman Beyond. And I think often is that that raw aspect of it that works best. And, you know, usually you find the best pattern for characters in their origin story and are usually best served sticking to it. I'm looking forward to more conversations between Damien and uh, Terry. Oh, yeah. As, as this current story progresses and everything, because, yeah, I mean, as – as Damien said, I'm I'm Bruce's son. You're not Bruce's son. Right. Well, not just that, but, you know, it's also, you know, Damien is no longer a kid. Damien, at that point, we have to assume is somewhere around 45 years old. So what is his character like at that point? And I think it's fair to say Damien is not mellowed. <laughs> Absolutely not. Yeah. Follow, following the uh, path of... Uh, of his grandfather rather than his father, right, which right. is an interesting choice. Oh, there we go. Shout out for Futures and I enjoyed that well as well. I, yeah, man, I, I enjoyed it too. Thank no, you. Was, you know, Tim is really has really been lost in the shuffle. And I know even Brian giving him the the code name now Drake, which I tease Brian about all the time. I'm like, he's a duck. Yeah. <laughs> Honest to God, I, I think that uh I actually just wrote him in uh in a couple issues of Nightwing. And I kept wanting to find a scene where I could have someone kind of just go quack, quack at him. And there was nowhere to do it. So I, I couldn't squeeze it in. Hopefully someone can someday. Who who designed uh, Rick's new costume? Uh, you mean the one that he's just wearing as part of being Dickie Boy and all that? That was yeah, yeah. Uh, Ronan, Ronan Cliquet, I believe. Okay. Yeah. And what was the thing? Like, you know, again, he's not, he's not quite Nightwing. He certainly isn't, you know, I mean, just uh, another... Kind of, yeah. I, I said it's an action costume. It is uh, made up of stuff that you could, it, it's almost like um, uh, leathers that you would wear riding motorcycle or something like that, that 
it had to be a little bit more off the shelf. He doesn't have access to, however all the heroes get their costumes, Rick Grayson did not have access to that. So, yes, it had to be a little bit off the shelf. And I thought it I, I kind of like it. I think it looks pretty good. Did you were you one of the writers on that Batman annual that like really focused on Alfred? That no, after I Alfred passed away. OK, no, no. OK, because, again, I really feel like, uh, you know, yeah, it's it's uh, the loss of Alfred is really amazing in terms of uh, just his not being there anymore in the Batman universe. And I and I understand that things have to move forward. But uh, and and who knows? It's it just like Brian re- revealing uh, Superman's identity. We'll see what sticks and what doesn't. It's it's interesting, and it's certainly in both cases. Uh, it it affords us new stories and new ideas, and giving yeah. Lucius more of a role in in the Batverse, and also even Harvey Bullock taking over for Jim Gordon and everything. I think is interesting. Well, and not only that, but because it all happened, and this is just how I'm handling it. Um, in the pages of Nightwing, because it all happened when Rick had amnesia and had no idea who Alfred was, that is something that is going to become a core part of our book, that uh, we have to deal with this idea that eventually that has to become an important element for Dick Grayson because he didn't experience it. You know, he, he can know intellectually that it happened, just like he has always known intellectually. Uh, he grew up under Bruce Wayne, you know, under his wing at Wayne Manor, but the emotional connection, once you have amnesia, is not there. So that emotional uh, resonance from Alfred's death has not yet been a part of our book, and eventually it will have to be. Yeah, I would imagine. And yeah, that's going to be, again, just this this whole world that he, he's forgotten about it and everything and how important these people are. No, it's, it, I think it's, it's very interesting watching Dick Grayson, like just a Rick Grayson, I guess. Yeah. Not, not really understanding the world that he came from. And it's like, I don't know this. I don't know these people. I don't know this life that you're talking about. And it's very interesting. And again, what you've got planned, I can only imagine with uh, the Joker rewriting. Dick well, yeah, and, and especially because very early after he had become uh Rick Grayson and was, uh, off on his own, he was approached really by two people, Barbara and Alfred, to try and bring him back. And he said no to both of them. Um, so, and part of it was he could look at Alfred and say, I don't know you. You know, I appreciate that you care about me, but I don't know you. So what does that then do to our story once he can really understand what Alfred had meant to him? So, yeah, I think there's a lot for us to deal with there. And I like Barbara and B. Am I saying it is B, right? Uh, yeah. Yep. yeah. Uh, B's an interesting character. And man, I'll tell you, obviously, Rick really does trust her because she's he's filled her in as best as he can. And But she's not of this world. And I really loved in that uh, last uh, two issues or so when, uh, or really, I guess it was the last issue, where she's telling Barbara, look, I don't get what you guys do. I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm not of this world. I, I can't explain it. But obviously, there's something wrong with Rick. And I, yeah. and I know you yeah, can help. Yeah, has to be a tremendously alien thing to anybody else who is not part of that world. I think, I I think honestly, it's something that as writers, we tend not to work with enough or appreciate sometimes, but it's just like us. If we were to go up and, you know, you meet someone who has done five tours in Afghanistan or something like that, or, or even these days, um, 
a cop who's working in a harsh city. You just say, I don't know what it's like to be you. I can't imagine what it is that you deal with sometimes on a daily basis, that kind of a thing. And, and I think that would always, just as that feels alien to us, we try to understand. Um, but that's still what you say. Those are, those are things we experience on the outside. She's a great point of view character for the audience. And yes, I hope, I hope that uh, readers are, you know, giving you good positive feedback about her. I think uh, a yeah. great addition. And Definitely. man, I can only imagine the eventual moment when Rick becomes Dick again and what happens to that relationship. Because uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think in, in more subtle ways, not in, in no amnesia involved, sometimes friendships, uh, you know, that you form when you're not sure of who you are, don't survive whenever you've regained your confidence or, or, you know, point of view, at least that's been my experience in a, in a few relationships. Yeah. So. Yeah. It gets into um, when he's Rick, how much of him is still the character of Dick Grayson. And what we have always posited is that yes, essentially the character is the same, but the person is not the same because the memories aren't there. Yep. Yeah. No, I hear you. Nick Filardi, one of the one of the great colorists. Oh yeah. Up. Hey Nick. Is there a story beat that you came up with early in your career that for whatever reason didn't work that you got to put somewhere else? Oh gosh. Um Yeah, I mean, there are always things that you come up with as a writer where you say, I want to work this in, I want to work this in, and then someone might say to you, you know, that's just not a Superman story, for example. And you say, yeah, I get that. Um, I think uh, there are some things I had played around with for Superman a little bit that I ended up using in Thor. Uh, You know, we had talked about that earlier, I think, because Thor could be a little bit more casual about things than could Superman. So there were certainly, and, and I don't know if it's, specifics as much as it is sometimes a feel or something like that. Um, There were elements uh, that I think of uh, for Green Arrow, for example, that just weren't right for Green Arrow that you could use elsewhere. Sometimes it's like, no, this villain isn't right because Green Green Arrow is more of a ground level character, for example, or something like that. So that happens all the time, actually. That's cool. Um, I don't know how to say this person's name, so I'll just ask the question. Are there any obscure Marvel or DC characters that you'd love to get a crack at writing? Yeah, those C and D level characters. Yeah, you know, and in some ways because they're really uh, the ones that are most interesting. I think uh, at Marvel there are always a couple. I always love Deathlock. I mean, Deathlock awesome. has always appealed to me. Yeah. <laughs> I think, uh, you know, I had done an Iron Fist miniseries, so I got that one out of my system. Um, I think there are a couple of other ones there that that kind of have that level. Um, you know, the weird thing is I tend not to think of A, B, C, D level characters, because as soon as you apply that sort of label to someone, if you start to diminish them in your own mind as a writer, then you start to see them that way. And I, I think be, your commitment becomes lesser. And I, I don't think that can ever work that way. I think you, as a writer, really have to say about everything you write, 
this is a level. This is how I perceive this character. It's my job to get other people to see it that way. Understood. And I, and yeah, I, uh, well, yeah, I mean, I just classify it in terms of untapped potential because right. you're right. I mean, no, in the right hands, I mean, King Tom King's doing it right now and Mitch and Doc Shaner with Adam Strange. And, uh, yeah. you know, I think back when, uh, when uh, Brad Meltzer took a uh, red tornado and made him such an important part of his justice league story. So no, I get it, man. It's so funny that you mentioned Deathlock. Uh, one of my first commission sketches, I got Rick Buckler to draw. Oh, yes. okay. oh yeah. An amazing Deathlock for me. Always love Deathlock. So yeah. yeah, I did too. Well, and, and the whole, uh, I, I was always fascinated by that sort of uh, inner dialogue he had with the computer implant and everything, which again, right now in a way is even more realistic than it was then. I mean, cause you can have that dialogue with your phone. You can have that dialogue with your car. I mean, you, we all can do that now. So it's, it's much more um, realistic and there are ways to handle it than what they did. It's, so yeah, there's a lot of fun stuff there. Oh, we got to forward this to CB. So. <laughs> <laughs> But I in his car. He talks to his car. <laughs> but you're right about that. No, that's yeah. amazing. And yeah, it would really be interesting. And of course, he is from the future. So right. you know, that even makes him even more of a potential contemporary character. Yeah. I think is really, yeah, I think you're hundred percent right. That's fantastic, man. Jesus. No ultra the multi-alien stories in you, Dan? That's just way beyond me, I'm afraid. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I've always I look at Ultra the Multi-Alien and be like, Yeah, I'll I'll be fun to draw it once. But beyond that, I got nothing. So, are there? If other- you want that done? That, that's where we call Jeff Lemire. There, oh, that's a good idea, yeah. actually. Oh, we're gonna have to bother Jeff about that. That's a great yeah. idea. Are there other booster stories you'd like to uh, tell in the future? Yes, and and I think there again, it's because um, if we look at what social media is now and what those things really are, I think there is more to say about booster now than there was even in the 80s. When when I first created him, it was a little bit of a, a reaction to this new dynamic of celebrity culture that was emerging. And, I mean, now you'd have Brewster Gold flying around with, uh, with skeets, videoing everything from four different angles uh, with 15 different social media accounts all opened up at once while he was fighting somebody, selling people on the idea the, the social media commentary that would be there uh, while he fought, you know, Blockbuster or whomever, uh, also raising money on his GoFundMe page at that exact same moment. There's a tremendous amount of stuff there. Right now. Yeah. <laughs> That's outstanding. All that sounds amazing, man. Yeah. God, well, here's, maybe, well, here's, I'll, maybe I'll do it someday. Who knows? Who knows? Interesting. Who knows? There you go. I think we just got in a, a little tidbit there. Ramsey, Nightwing has gained heartthrob status with fans. Indeed. Twitter is especially obsessed with the bootylicious history Grayson's, of Grayson's butt. I wonder if there'll be any fun nods to that in the comics. Yeah, that I was something that did that in uh, uh, the Nightwing annual that came out maybe a month ago, six weeks ago, something like that, where yeah. Nightwing make, meets someone and a, and a woman gives him a pat on the butt. And yes, I got the various commentary that, uh, and I think I had him say, you're, you know, you're violating my personal space. Um, I, I got all sorts of reactions from it, from people who thought that was the most awesome thing ever to people who said he should report it to HR and everything else and everything in between. It's like, I get it. 
that was a bit of a uh, nod to that aspect of Nightwing existence. And then it's yeah. like, yeah, but let's move on. Cause that's the character is about a little bit more than that. Okay. <laughs> I understand, man. No, yeah. I, I just talked to Nicholas Scott about it too. And I, and, and yeah, there's, and in fact, in her myriad of, uh, you know, Dick Grayson through the decades, right. of, of course, Nightwing was, his back was to the camera and showing off his, uh, his glutes. That's yes. all right. Yes, it was. <laughs> hey, it's uh it's an equal opportunity world. I got no problem with that. I love, when, to be honest, and this is my opinion, when uh, they do get a little upset when uh, the cheesecake on the on the female side gets a little too sexy, but are happy to say, "Ooh, Nightwing's butt," and it's like, yeah, exactly, there's room for both kids. Yep, in my world, absolutely, man. So that's that's fantastic. All right, here, let's a couple of final questions as we wrap up because you've been generous with your time, Dan. A chance DC would ever do more Warlord? Now I know that's a Mike Rell character. The early issues in the right. '80s were so cool. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't know if you'd have interest in ever going back to Warlord. I know too they introduced uh, Travis McGee's, uh, or not Travis McGee. That's the detective, but uh, Travis Morgan's son mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. And uh, Mike introduced that before uh, he had wrapped up his last run on Warlord. Yeah, he did. Uh, we had well, he had done Young Tinder before I ever got there, and then you know we had him for a bit, and then Mike brought him in as an adult years later. I look at it this way: that I, I could not believe in a way that as Lord of the Rings was such a big phenomenon or Game of Thrones, that we did not have an ongoing Warlord series. That there have been times where, to me, it would have been a no-brainer to try. Um, I know they've tried a couple of times, and for whatever reason, it did not work out. But I still see that as a property that should work, Uh, just like I always see Conan. As, as a property sure. and a comic that should work, that if you take those things, yeah, they might have been more popular at a certain age. But even aside from that, there, there is some fun stuff within those concepts that should make them very workable. So I would love to see a Warlord series. I think so, too. And I also think the combination of the fantasy element with the sci-fi elements that Mike and you guys all put into Warlord, I think would be really interesting to explore. And you look at something like the Aquaman movie and it's like, oh my God, can you imagine the world building you could do with Skartaris and everything and, and, and yeah. bringing that back? Yeah, I think that would be amazing. So yeah. I'm with you, man. That's yeah, amazing. Well, I mean, and that's just it. If we can have an Aquaman comic or an Aquaman movie, we should be able to have a Warlord comic, right? Absolutely. And then yeah. hopefully a Warlord movie after that or a Warlord TV series. That would be amazing. And you're right about that. I When... um when uh, CrossGen had their comic Sojourn, yeah. that was very Lord of the Rings. I'm like, this should be so big right now. And of course, with the fact that Dungeons and Dragons is still, you know, such an important part of uh, nerd culture and everything. Yeah, I'm, I'm surprised. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's just a question of getting the right team, getting the right focus, and then positioning it properly. So yeah, maybe one day. I hope so. It'd be great to see. There you go. Dan, I'm thrilled with what you're doing as always, and I love uh, when we get a chance to hang out and talk. I'm sorry we're not uh, in the in the same room, but this is as close as we can get being face to face. Maybe and next year. You're always you're always generous generous with your time. I appreciate that. Is this year the Doomsday anniversary, or is it next year? No, uh, Death of Superman was 1992. So, oh, so we're two years away. We've got two more years to go. Yeah. All right, that's interesting. Yeah. So we've talked we've talked plenty about Doomsday over the years, um, yes. you know, and I and yeah, and and again we're wrapping up, but I I, uh, I wasn't sure where we were chronologically as far as 
the 30th, yikes, the 30th anniversary. Good Lord. I know, Dan. I, hear you. I know. Sorry. I hear it's all, you. Dan, it's all relative. The ones younger than us, they'll get there. It's That's all right. right. They'll, they'll be like, I can't believe new kids on the block happened 40 years ago. Yeah, and, and, they'll, and they'll say, gee, didn't Jurgens just say he was 38? I mean, how does this work? <laughs> Again, absolutely. Well, you and Booster Goldman, you guys uh, share uh, Rip Hunter's uh, time bubble when necessary. There you go. So I understand. Dude, be well. You too. And um, I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap up. If hang out just for a second, and I'll uh, say a couple things to you off the air that are nice, but also <laughs> see see what your schedule's like. And uh, truly, I appreciate you hanging out this afternoon. Thanks. My a lot, pleasure. Man. Thank you, John. Absolutely. Dan Jurgens, everybody. Uh, Word Balloon Live tonight. Dean Haspiel and um, Whitney Matheson are going to be on talking about an anthology that they're working on for charity. Very cool. Tomorrow night, I'm going to do a scene missing where we'll talk old movies with Will Pfeiffer and Hilary Barta and Mike Cronenberg. Thursday night, Greg Rucka will be joining us to uh, talk about the Old Guard movie on Netflix. He and I did the uh, review of the film when it first dropped. And now it's a chance for you to ask questions about that. And Greg and Mike Perkins, excellent Lois Lane run. That's all coming up on Thursday night. Friday, it'll be John Con. yikes. But uh, I'll be talking with the Bensons and Tom King and Dan Slott and Judd Winnick and, uh, God, Nicholas Scott. So many great creators. So I hope you'll join me this week on Word Balloon Live. Thank you for joining me this afternoon with Dan. As I always end each uh, broadcast with... You see why I like talking to this guy? Always heady stuff in a conversation with Dan Jurgens. I saw him last year at Terrificon. And uh, like I said, I don't remember if I saw him or not at uh, C2E2, the last convention of the year. Who, who knew it was coming? I'm glad I was there. I'm glad I got to saw my, see my friends. Now, you know, um, San Diego Comic-Con Online is going on this week. And uh, I'm certainly enjoying the coverage, as I'm sure you are as well. And I wanted to create kind of an after-hours atmosphere for Friday night. So uh, I hope you'll join me for John Con. I don't like the name of it, but uh, <laughs> the Benson sisters ins insisted. It's Julie Shauna Benson and uh, also Tom King. And uh, we're going to be hanging out in a virtual corner as uh, a lot of our favorite creators will join us for a quick discussion all Friday evening. And it starts at uh, 8 o'clock Central Time, 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 o'clock Eastern, right here at Word Balloon. We're going to be doing a Word Balloon Live on Facebook and, of course, on our YouTube channel. I hope you'll join us. And there's a great lineup of guests that I want to tell you about. So here's some of the creators that are going to be joining us. So we've got Art Baltazar and Franco. Uh, of course, Tim Seeley is going to be joining us as well. Shelly Bond, Dan Slott, Jody Hauser, Judd Winnick, Chris Canwell. He's coming on to do Iron Man and a uh, great television uh, showrunner. Uh, halt and Catch Fire among uh, his uh, TV credits. Vita Ayala, Ben Percy, Liam Sharp, Bob Vendetti, and Nicholas Scott. And uh, hopefully as well, Phil Jimenez and Amy Chu. So it should be a great group of uh, people dipping in and out, giving us some uh, after-hours conversation and some uh, San Diego or other convention memories they want to share. Uh, I, I'm certainly happy if they want to promote any uh, product that they might have going on. But it's going to be a lot of fun. I hope you'll join us on Friday night for John Con right here on Word Balloon. Thanks a lot for listening today. I appreciate it. Thank you, League of Word Balloon listeners, for your great support via Aftershot, or pardon me, via Patreon, patreon.com slash Word Balloon. Getting ahead of myself. Thank you, Aftershock Comics. Aftershock uh, doing a lot for our Word Balloon 
and uh, sponsoring uh, the show, but also providing great entertainment for us every month with amazing genre-bending books that absolutely deserve your attention. Go to their website and find out more about their great books at AfterShotComics.com. Tonight on Word Balloon Live, I'll be talking to Greg Rucka about The Old Guard. The Netflix film is out. It's been out for a couple weeks. It's your chance to ask Greg questions about the movie and talk about it, but also uh, talk about his great run on Lois Lane that has just wrapped up for DC and a great opportunity to talk about Lazarus and Black Magic and so many other Greg Rucka projects that are happening right now. Greg Rucka on Word Balloon Live tonight. I hope you'll join us for that. Until next time, thanks for listening. Word Balloon is a copyright feature of Shaky Productions. Copyright 2020. Stay safe, stay happy, stay healthy. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.